Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Oh, can you? You can hear me. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Obviously, you can finish these lovely conversations later. I know I'm going to be that guy that's breaking it up. Um, hopefully, you're making some new friends, catching up. I appreciate for some of you, uh, you might not have seen people for like a year. Uh, so, <laughs> lots to catch up on, but fortunately, students in 20s, there's a lunch afterwards. So, is that okay? Can you hear me okay? I feel like I'm echoing. It's just it's weird for me. It's probably fine for you. <laughs> okay, um, just wave, shout, throw something at me if uh, I disappear or something like that. Uh, also, hi to the live streamers. If you just turn around and give the camera a wave, there are people all over the world. Uh, again, thanks to those in Tokyo who are tuning in the middle of the night, very kind. Uh, so, uh, who knows? That's the exciting thing about the internet. Who knows who's tuning in? Uh, but obviously, the people here in real life, uh, it's nice. We can actually see each other's faces and smile, wave, shout, whatever. Uh, so today, um, actually in preparation for this, today, I actually prepared a, diff a talk for a different service. Um, and then when I was chatting to James Lee earlier in the week, we thought like, actually, no, I think, I think this is the talk for today. We both felt that. So, um, yeah, so my background is I'm a writer, and some, I've probably bored a lot of you of my stories from around the world. I'm actually not going to talk about anything for my travels or anything like that today. We're doing something a bit different. Um, but like I said, I think it's what God had for us today. So we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the, the sort of the theme I wanted to share was the Father Heart of God. Um, and I'd say it's one of Jesus' most shocking messages. Uh, so when, I have to say one-off, because like most of what Jesus said was quite shocking. <laughs> if you were in the crowd, you'd have got used to seeing like that face when Jesus said anything. Um, so astonished is one of the most common words you hear, or amazed uh, what Jesus said. And it's usually quickly followed by either worship or they picked up rocks to stone him. So <laughs> kind of death or glory, that's the ancient Near East equivalent of an angry tweet. Uh, I'd say probably maybe a bit more dangerous. Uh, so if you were uh, the first slide, if you uh, that's, the, that's the common reaction, and then quickly followed by next slide, uh, one or the other. Um, and so one of these shock reactions uh, was when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Uh, and so if Jesus did a wiki how on how to pray, anyone use wiki how? Uh, you can Google anything these days. Yeah. I pretty much renovated an entire house with Wookie How. So, uh, but if Jesus did a Wookie How on how to pray, he kind of sat his disciples down and said, this is it. In, like, in a nutshell, very clearly, this is how to pray. This is what he said. You ready? Next slide. He said, and when you pray, so <laughs> clues in the name, you are going to pray. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I know that prayer goes on to the Lord's Prayer, but I just wanted to zoom in on that opening two lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And one of the reasons why people were, there's actually quite a few reasons why people were shocked at Jesus' teaching, but one of the reasons why people were quite shocked with that um, Our Father opening line was it could seem a bit irreverent. The, uh, the Jewish people had like such an awe and wonder for God 
if you were too familiar, and actually later on Jesus said, Abba, Father, which is kind of like Daddy, Papa. It's quite a close uh, sort of intimate description of how you'd address your, like as a child addressing their father. And I think a lot of people were like, ooh, too, it's a bit too much. It's a bit too close. Um, and if you go on to the next slide, uh, one of the ways in which the Jewish people addressed, almost started every prayer, every, every, um, every food, you know, every meal they eat or before, all sorts of different things. There's often a prayer before dedicating something or the other. Um, and it would start with, anyone seen The Chosen? I wonder whether to put this in or not, because The Chosen can, can be, anytime any TV or any kind of program or film comes out about Jesus, it's usually a bit controversial. You get the camps of people who are like, this is terrible, this didn't happen. <laughs> we must not watch this. And there's a people who are like, I don't need to read the Bible anymore because I just watched this. <laughs> it's easy. And so if I could be so bold as to steer us, um, my approach would be to enjoy it. It is a great way of imagining, picturing, getting into the story of Jesus in this context. But it's also not the scriptures. So they get a couple of things a little bit. You know, there's some poetic license. So, you know, read the scriptures with your mates but you can also watch this and it's okay. <laughs> Let's not go too serious one way or the other. Um, I've spent the last few years studying New Testament history. I love that world. Not as much as Alex Morgan, but uh, there's little glimmers of things they really get right, which is wonderful, and then other bits you're like, all the disciples have perfect teeth. Not very realistic. <laughs> you know, little bits and bobs. But one of the things I love about The Chosen if you don't know, it's apparently a binge-worthy Netflix series about Jesus. That's the hard sell. If you don't, uh, one of the things they get right is they start their, they've done the homework on the Jewishness of Jesus. All those little details and how he prays and what he wears and what they eat and where they go. And all those little kind of rituals they've done their homework on, which is great. And one of the things they often say before you know, the rabbi or whoever leading the meal would break bread or something or take wine, they would say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. That's how it starts. And I like that. That's a really beautiful part of Jewish history. It's just, it's like a reminder of like, wow, the awe and the wonder of God. And you see it a lot in the Psalms. There's kind of like Psalm 8, I think, says, uh, what is man that you are mindful of him? When I look at the, the stars. And there's that kind of sense of the awe and wonder of God. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Wow. And I think some people, when they hear, you know, talk of like saying, you know, God's like my dad, and it's a little bit close. It's a bit like, have we lost something of that reverence? And I think that's a little bit of a clash, or was in the ancient Near East. But actually, what's interesting about the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray is he had both. So if you look at, we've gone to the next slide. Uh, if you look at um, what Jesus exactly said, it was, it was intimacy, like God's a close, loving father, but also reverence. He said, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he didn't lose that reverence and that wonder and that, wow, God is, God is the creator and we're just the created. Didn't lose that, but he added to it like an intimacy. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful paradox to hold in, in the faith, to always be thinking God is so close. He, you know, it's almost actually the Jewish story of a God who was the God of a whole universe, but also was present with his people. And it's always there, that paradox of like so, so magnificent and unapproachable and yet also intimate and close. Um, and you never really work it. It's quite nice just to sit in the paradox and be amazed by it. Um, and Jesus taught that. Um, but also, it's something he modeled his whole life. And so, at the very beginning of his life, probably the first recorded words we have of Jesus was in Luke, when he was at the temple. You might know the story. As a child, they took him to the temple. 
they lost him, oops, came, you know, it's not that ridiculous because it had been a huge gathering from Nazareth who had been traveling together, but Jesus went missing, spent ages looking for him, and they found him back in Jerusalem in the temple courts, just hanging out with the religious leaders, asking questions, and it said, there's that shock face again, they were amazed at his answers, even as a child. Um, and they said, Jesus, where have you been? Which I imagine is exactly what Murray said. And she actually said, you've been really angry. We've been really anxiously looking for you. Um, and Jesus said, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? <laughs> I wonder how Mary took that. Like, thank you for the preach. <laughs> We've been really worried. What it actually says in Luke is it said, Mary treasured these things in her heart. So clearly it just set a little thing like, what is this? What is he talking about? And that was the first recorded prayer, all the way through to the very end of his life. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying um, literally hours before he goes to the cross. And he says, Abba, Father. That's like a next level of intimacy. Abba, actually, a lot of people in the Middle East today use that word. It's like the first word. Like you'd say dad, like children when they're learning. They don't learn disestablishment words. They just learn Abba. Like the first syllable, Abba, is like dad. He uses that phrase, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. So again, even Jesus models that reverence. He's like, you're in charge to his heavenly father. There's a submission and a surrender. But also, he says, Abba, Father. And what's interesting is, and I wanted to just in a glimpse just talk about the Trinity. The Trinity is very difficult to talk about because you always feel as a Christian, if you say slightly the wrong thing, you get that reaction. And often when people try and explain it, you know, it's like heresy bingo. But if I could just say, we believe in three, the, the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, they are separate. And there is a relationship between the Son and the Father. But they're also one. And I'm not going to try and unpack that, but we just need to, I think we need to get used to knowing both, to be happy with three separate. There's a relationship and a submission between them, but they're also one. So the Father and the Spirit, all with Jesus on the cross, they all suffered. And yet, they could also know separation. So it's a long, big thing to get your head around. It's actually, there's other things in the physical world, for those of you who do into physics. There's lots of things where something can behave like two completely different things and still be the same thing. But it's not that bizarre a teaching. If that's the same of light, can it not be the same of God? <laughs> no. But um, so Jesus modeled a relationship with his father, even though they were both one. We'll come on to that later. But I just wanted to say that Jesus also wanted that father-son relationship for us. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was preparing for probably the worst trauma we can possibly imagine, this is what he was praying, other than your will be done. He went on to say in John, my prayer is not for them alone. So he's praying for the 12 disciples, his students. And then he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's us. That's you and me. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is about to be nailed to a cross, and in his last moments, he is praying for you. That's mad, isn't it? And what's he praying? This is his prayer. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. So that is Jesus' last words before he goes to the cross, his last prayers. He's praying that we would all know that same intimacy with the Father that Jesus knew. Wow. And the last verse I wanted to share as Jesus, when he died and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and the sort of Jesus movement was born, we sang about that earlier, <laughs> the spirit lit the flame and off it goes around the world. And one of the first teachings, if you look at the, the New Testament in chronological order, one of the first letters to be written was Galatians. 
And right at the beginning, when Paul of Tarsus is kind of setting up um, or right into the church in Galatia and setting up the Jesus movement across modern-day Turkey, he says this, We are his children. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. So Jesus started this. He finished it. He got it going in the next generation. Like, this is clear teaching right from the word go and all the way through to now that we are to call God Abba, Father. So I, even though there's a slight kickback in Jesus' day because it seemed irreverent, Jesus was like, no, 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 we still, we still have you on wonder of God, but we also approach him as a, as a loving father. I think in this generation, maybe there's a couple of barriers. I just wanted this morning deal with two potential issues with what it's like to address God as a father. So you've gone to the next slide. Probably the most famous teaching of Jesus on this sort of fatherhood thing is the story of the prodigal son. A lot of you will know, be familiar with it. Um, often when people teach about the prodigal son, they say, this is the message. <laughs> it's actually about 10 points you can take from the prodigal son. <laughs> I'm just going to take one this morning, just in a sort of 60-second bio, if some of you are kind of unfamiliar with the, the details. There is a father. He has two sons. One of them says, can I have my share of inheritance now? It's a bit rude. It's like saying, I wish you were dead. Give me the money. And a culturally sort of expected response was a slap and get back to work. And the father says, okay. That's, that, if Jesus was teaching us, there'd be like 10 moments. That's the first one. He gives, him the, gives the son the money and the son goes off. And the, uh, the scripture says he blew it all on wild living. You can let your imagination run wild. Uh, and then when there was a famine in that country, he'd been to all the parties. And all the friends that came with the parties disappeared when he had no money. He found himself working amongst pigs. I'm sure you know working amongst pigs is like the worst thing imaginable in a Jewish community, or in a Muslim community. There's not many pigs in the Middle East. In fact, Christians can eat anything. It's, what, it's not one question. <laughs> Just kidding. But, uh, pigs for, in a Jewish culture were um, very unclean. For him to be working with pigs, eating the pig pellets, it's like, again, that's another like, <gasps> in the original story. And he comes to his senses, obviously, because he's like, what am I doing with my life? And says, my father's servants have a better quality of life than this. I'll go back home. But, He's like, I have blown it as a son. There's no way I can go back and just be like, all right, Dad. He's like, I'll go back and plead that I could just be a servant. So that's what he does. I'm sure you know the story. And this parable has wisely been called by a lot of people the parable of the running father. Because actually it says more about God than us. And he, you know the story when the father sees the son coming. He runs out to meet him. And there's the third moment in the story. <laughs> because men of status in the Middle East, or women, or anyone really apart from children, didn't run. That was like very undignified. It'd be, the modern equivalent would be like, you're in the shower, you hear something in the streets, so you just go out, forget the towel, just run out into the street. What's going on here? Like, it's a little bit awkward. Like, that was the same sort of cultural level of like, you wouldn't run. You like, you'd have to hitch up their robe and off they go. People would be like, it's so embarrassing. I can't believe he's doing this. And he ran out to meet the sun and he wrapped his arms around him and he put a ring on his finger put his cloak around him, sandals on his feet, killed a fattened calf while having a party. That would have been an extraordinary reaction. In fact, the expected ending to the story, to Jesus' original audience, would be that the father is running, he's going to go and kill his son and restore the honor of a family that's been taken away. And so when he reaches up and everyone's like, yeah, we see what's coming, he's like, Pfft. everyone's like, oh, we did not see that coming. <laughs> so that is the story of the prodigal son. There's a bit about the brother as well which is probably what made the other guys angry. Like I say, angry face or happy face. Not good news for religious leaders. But I just want to deal for a second with the running father. Because for a lot of people in this 
generation, there can be two sort of reactions to that. Sometimes you might feel like the prodigal son, and you're like, God, you know, God doesn't know what I've done. And particularly, I think, after a year we've had, for everybody, it's been a, a long and difficult season, and you might have slipped in some bad habits, you might have felt just a bit broken and lonely and, you know, chaotic. And sometimes when you approach God and you think of the awe and the wonder of God, you think, I'm not really worthy to. You feel about that younger son, like, oh, I don't know if I'm really comfortable with God giving me a hug. I don't really deserve that. And the parable of a running father is about the fact that God knows that. It's not like the father didn't know what the son had been up to. He knew all the shame and all the problems of it. He said, my love for you overrides all of that. And he picks him up and he gives him a hug. And actually, that is the message. And people often wonder, like, where is where's Jesus in the story of the prodigal son? And the reason that the father can embrace the son and put aside all of the shame of his past is because on the cross, Jesus dealt with all the shame and the sin and all the disaster of it all. So the reason that we could have that intimate relationship with the Father is because all the stuff, the things that you've done or the things that have been done to you has been, is forgotten by God because Jesus took it to the cross. He died with it there. He rose from the dead. It's a done deal. It's forgotten. And so Jesus can see us as sons and daughters with no blemishes, pure and spotless because he's dealt with the pigsty <laughs> that's gone hit in the past, dead and buried. But the other thing, which uh, so some people, and I say for, that's my first question this morning. If you're thinking like I don't feel that close to God, I almost don't feel like I deserve God's lavish love. Then I'd feel like God would say, "It's not about you; it's about me. I love you so much that my love for you will overwhelm whatever it is that's holding you back." So that's the first message. But the second one is some people often, and this is a bit of my story, and I share a bit of my story is that. You can feel like, I'm actually okay. The standard British response to almost any situation, death or glory, is, I'm fine. Right? <laughs> you ask someone that, how are you? I'm fine. That could mean that I'm about to die. It could mean I'm ha- this is the happiest day of my life. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> and so, I remember, um, for me, I'd, I often say, as uh, I kind of summarize my story very briefly, is I met, so I met Jesus in my teens, and I met the Holy Spirit in my 20s. And it wasn't until my 30s that I really thought about the father. It was always a bit like, I don't really understand this father heart stuff. I'm just going to leave that to one side. So I wasn't really raised in a, a particularly Christian family. My mum took us to church as a kid occasionally, but we didn't really know what it meant. And my friends were all atheists and I went to a regular school. And it wasn't really anything in my sort of culture that was that Christian. Um, but when I was at secondary school, my mum sent me on a camp in one holiday to this Christian camp and I heard the gospel and I'm like, great. Jesus is the bomb. I will follow this guy. <laughs> totally respect. I went, I remember going back. I got a lot of stick from my friends who were all atheists, but not like, kind of like, don't really care. Sort of, like, they were agnostics. They were like, we don't believe in God and we're going to give you a hard time. <laughs> Which I quite enjoyed that sort of banter. And so um, in my teens, I went on a bit of a journey. I did Alpha. And what, quick Alpha plug, I loved Alpha. And the reason I loved Alpha is because it wasn't that religious. And it wasn't like, you have to say the right thing. It was like, this is just about Jesus. And it actually was about the evidence, which I quite liked. You know, you watch those sort of crime thrillers on Netflix, and it's like going to the, the scene, and you look at who was there, and what were they doing? And Alpha does that with, like, the resurrection, like, who was there? Let's look at the possibilities. And there's kind of this exciting, like, let's unpick the evidence, and there's always going to be people there who are like, I don't believe it. And other people are like, but who moved the stone? And it's quite, it's quite fun, and it's quite, you know, there's... Um, there's no sort of expectation or pressure. It's just a genuine, like, let's look at the life of Jesus. It's quite fun. And I did that, and I chatted to my friends, and one of my mates said, you've got to read the books by atheists as well as the Christians, otherwise it's just confirmation bias. 
echo chamber. Oh, that's a good point. So I read the books by the atheists. I read the books by the Christians. I did a little, I did, you know, most of my teens were spent in books. And I was convinced by the evidence. I'm like, this guy checks out. This happened. I'm in. But I didn't, I didn't really have a very intimate relationship with God. I'm just like, I've got the facts. I can argue a case. But I didn't do like, that's, even people are like, I just feel like God's saying this. I'm like, oh, I didn't feel God saying anything. I'm just so we can read about it. And so when I came to City Church, actually, in Bristol, um, and I came to this church, because I'd heard that New Frontiers was a bit more, like, experiential, but still loves the word. So I came here, and people were doing that kind of stuff, praying in tongues, and, stuff, and I kind of was like, wow, but a bit nervous. And I'd say it took me several years of just, like, what is happening here? <laughs> and they were very, the leaders were very good to me and kind of gradually led me, little by little, to kind of experiment. I remember the first time I ever prayed was actually like listening to God, like, okay, God, give me a word for this person. And I said something, he's like, how did you know? And I'm like, oh my God, it works. <laughs> and I'd say, I'd say I've obviously got things wrong as well. It's been a, a long journey of um, kind of learning to listen to God, but it was amazing. I, and again, that's another thing you got an alpha, you get the Holy Spirit day, and it's a bit of a like learning to know God personally. And for me, that was a wonderful journey in my 20s. I kind of like, fine, I've got Jesus, I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying I've mastered either, <laughs> but uh, I'm learning to get to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But I remember when, and when I was in my 30s, I went to Toronto just for a few weeks. I'd left my job, I was writing a book, I was taking out on this exciting adventure, and I felt, have I, am I doing the right thing here? So I'd take a little bit of time out, spend some time with God, a sort of retreat. And while I was there, there's this sort of little mini leaders course they do in Toronto, and uh, they did this ministry on the Father's heart. And I was a bit like, I don't need that. I'm fine. <laughs> so standard British response to every question. Um, and actually, I kind of filled out a bit of a form before we go to this thing to explain about my story. And I do have a bit of a broken home story. So I had a, a bad experience of a father. My dad was, um, he died quite young of what they called lifestyle-related issues, which is like the medical speak for a chaotic alcoholic. And so I had a bit of a, I didn't have a great experience as a teenager. I got used to just a very difficult home. Um, but my way of dealing with it was I'm like, I'm fine. So <laughs> I remember, um, and obviously they knew about my story and they were, you know, when pastors are like, but you actually okay? You're like, no, I'm okay. And they're like, but are you okay? <laughs> it's a bit of a, I'm like, am I okay? I don't know. And I feel like, um, you know, I'd, I'd walk just a journey of forgiveness and uh, as you do as a Christian, I think, you know, one of the best ways of learning to sort of move on from whatever pain you might have in your life is just seeing the other person as a valuable, wonderful human being who's made some bad decisions and they, they became not what God wanted them to be. And I kind of went on that journey with my dad and I'm like, all is forgiven, I'm fine. Um... And so, and I kind of thought, and I had this slight, this is a bit of a um, confession, I had a slight feeling of like, I raised myself. Like, I didn't need a father figure, I taught myself the way of the world. <laughs> and uh, so, maybe that's a bit arrogant, it was very arrogant, and I, God took me to pieces a bit. But when we had this sort of father heart teaching, um, and there were people were kind of crying and ministering of God and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like... I'm fine. And I'm, for me, I just, um, there's a guy called Barry Adams who's doing this teaching on the Father's love letter. You might have heard of that. And I went off to pray. And I'm like, okay, God, I've said a fine about a thousand times. Just between me and you, are we fine? <laughs> and I felt like you took me on a little bit of a um, journey through my life. And uh, some, one of the things that some of you probably know about me is I'm a little bit accident prone. I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. And I think my willingness to take risks 
is not matched by my low skill level <laughs> of most sports at speed. So I've had a few knocks in my life, um, and I just kind of he took me through some of those moments, and I'm like, huh, I was quite lucky then. And there's just been little moments where something bad happened. I'd usually get hit by something, or I hit something on my bike. I've got a lot more sensible now, so don't worry. Um, but there's been moments when something's happened, just you know, an unmarked police car has turned up in the middle of nowhere after an accident, shouldn't have been there, whipped me to hospital, or I was actually once cycling back from City Church, I got T-boned by a car, just swung out by a minibus, and I rolled down St. Michael's Road, and everyone thought, this guy's dead. And I got up, and I'm like, oh, I appear to be fine. <laughs> a few moments like that, I, I'm, I just, I'm not going to make you nervous if anyone's listening. <laughs> My friends were like, stop doing this stuff. I have stopped being quite so dangerous. Uh, I wear a helmet now, um, thanks to people in City Church <laughs> nagging me lovingly. <laughs> uh, but I felt like God took me for these moments and was like, who did you have... Who was looking after you then, mate? And I'm like, ah, thank you. And then other moments where I felt like I had done something stupid. There was one particular moment where I'd done something I really regretted and I was feeling a bit guilty. I came to a prayer meeting in City Church. I remember Jason Cave had a word for me from Psalm 51. For those of you who know, Psalm 51 is like, this is a psalm you go to when you've been naughty (laughs) and you feel a bit guilty. And he had that word for me, which is, I wasn't looking particularly guilty. I had the poker face on and I'm fine. And he was just like, I feel like God wants to say he's restoring you the joy of his salvation. And he went through that psalm, which is David confessing and saying, a broken and contrite spirit he will not reject. And then Pete Torrance had a word for me as well. And I felt like, wow, God, I just felt God's forgiveness and redemption. Anyway, I won't bore you with all the details, but I kind of went through my whole life and just saw at every stage things that happened to me, things I'd done. God had been picking me up, looking after me, forgiving me, <laughs> brushing me off. And I thought, you know what? What a fool to think I've raised myself. God has fathered me. Even when I didn't even realize it, he was looking after me. And I feel like for some people here, maybe there might be other people who have that sight, like, I'm fine. I'm British. I don't need, like, a lovey, huggy. You know, like most films ever made, the storyline is, hero has some kind of broken father figure. They're about to save the world, have a meltdown, said father figure, wizard, professor, whatever, turns up gives a pep talk, they save the world. <laughs> it's like most films ever made. I'm like, I'm not really looking for that. And some of you might be like, I'm fine, that's not my story. But actually God's saying, look, let me love you. Let me love you. We, do, we are built for a relationship. God wants to be our father. And you can hold him at arm's reach and be like, I'm fine. And God's like, I'm not trying to break you down or you know, control you. I just, just come here. I love you. I love you as a son and a daughter. Stop, stop being so stoic. And I feel like maybe some people are here, like I said, might feel like they're not worthy. Other people feel like I'm fine. I feel like the response to God for both is the running father. He just comes out and says, look, give me a hug, mate. It's fine. And I just felt as a thing, as I thought some people need to hear that this morning. Some people need that image of a running father. And I'll finish with one final story. Because Jesus, um, actually, no, one last thing I want to say before the final point. <laughs> is uh, uh, when I was um, listening to this, I remember the guy speaking gave two examples. One was David, one was Jesus. And actually, I found that quite helpful because David probably has the most intimate relationship with God in the Old Testament. Very, very loving. David's a bit of a confuser. He slays Goliath, also plays the harp. You're like, okay, here's a man. <laughs> he's an alpha male in, in touch with his emotions there. But Jesus says in one of the Psalms, even if my mother and father forsake me, you will not forsake me. You're like, that's a bit of a random comment. And you realize when, when David was called to be king by Samuel, 
his own dad just basically just didn't even acknowledge his existence. If you're going to have issues, it's like, these are the 12 sons. Oh, there's another guy who doesn't count. He's with a sheep. Like, wow, that's hard graph for David, right? There's even room, it's a bit of a theological debate as to whether David was an illegitimate son. I won't go into all of that, but David had some issues. And yet David knew God so intimately because he learned, like, he was fathered by God. He, he was the one who said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That was David. And the same with, like, Jesus didn't have a bad experience of fatherhood, but his father would have died young. Joseph, you know, in the ancient Near East, men died young, and Joseph would have been older than Mary. And we don't know exactly when he died. You can't make a strong argument for silence. But Joseph wasn't there in Jesus' adult years. So he almost certainly died in Jesus. We know he had at least six siblings. There's four brothers mentioned by name, and it says sisters. So by definition, it has to be at least six. So Jesus, as the oldest son, would have been putting bread on the table. So if David and Jesus knew what life was like without an earthly father to go around for whatever reason, and yet, did Jesus know the love of a father? Oh my goodness. So I just feel like this is the great level of this teaching. Whether you've had a really good experience of a father, and that's we celebrate, or a mother, or you've had a non-existent or a bad experience, Jesus is like, let's just reset all of that. Everybody's a child of God. Everybody gets the running father. And it's kind of... It's quite liberating, isn't it? Actually, in heaven, we'll all be brothers and sisters. There are no parents in heaven other than the one father. So your earthly parents are really just temporary parents. In eternity, there'll be siblings and there'll be one father who you can really trust. So I said I would finish with this. The next slide. There is the story of Jesus' daughter. I said this to be a bit controversial. It might be another moment. But Jesus is on his way to heal uh, the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and a lady stops him who the scripture says has been suffering bleeding for 12 years. That's all they say. It's pretty obvious that she's been through a lot of trauma. And the, one of the sort of um, cultural norms in the ancient Near East was that if someone is suffering from a sickness that is not being cured, then it's probably due to some kind of sin in their life or in their family. It's like a sort of karma, like, well, this came from somewhere. Um, so there wouldn't, for a lot of people, there wouldn't have been any sympathy for this woman. And because she was unclean and would have like, touched people on the way to meet Jesus, they would have been ritually unclean and would have had to go through a whole load of things to like, get clean again. So people would have been irritated, no sympathy, get out of the way. Jesus is on a mission. And Jesus stops, and his first words, next slide, were daughter. That's how he saw her. Which is kind of unusual because... It's quite likely the woman was older than Jesus. She's clearly 12 years into, at least 12 years into adulthood. Jesus wasn't that old at this point. He didn't exactly hard, but she wasn't a child. She could have been older than him. And yet his, he identified her as daughter. And I just wanted to finish with that because I thought, as a, as a, whoever you are, whatever your background, Jesus' primary identity, even if you're no longer a child, is a son or a daughter. And actually, all the labels attached to this woman, Jesus just like, I don't care what anyone else says, you're a daughter. And he healed her, but he didn't say, hey, everybody, I just healed someone. What he said was, daughter, your faith, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So it's almost like a lesson to the crowd, to all the judgmental bystanders. He's like, she's a role model. Look at her faith. So he didn't just heal her. He didn't just call her daughter. He restored her honor in the community. And part of what God loves to do as a father is restore honor. So if you've had a bad experience of whatever, uh, of parenthood, 
And there can be a bit of a shame or whatever attached to that. Jesus is like, I want to restore your honor. I want you to know that I love you and I'm proud of you and I like you. And Jesus would even put himself in a situation of shame. He'd even rob himself of his dignity in order to restore your honor. So as the running father, he would have been tutted at, that great insult in British culture, the tut. Extremely tutted at for the runningness, but it's because he wanted to restore the honor of a son, just like he restored the honor of this woman. And so I feel like I'll let Andy work out how I'm going to respond, but I want to kind of leave that there. My finishing, my sort of summary of all of that is that sometimes you have to let God love you. And I wondered today as I was preparing that, and I appreciate for me this took 20 years, so it might be a journey for some people, but there's sometimes when God just wants to love you. He wants to say daughter. He wants to say son and give you a hug. And you can be like, I'm fine. And God's saying, mm. <laughs> just come here. And so I'll let Andy know how to respond. Maybe the band wants to come back up. But maybe just, I'm going to pray. We'll just have a minute um, before we carry on. Just to just kind of do business with God in your heart and be like, okay, God, how am I responding? Am, am I fine? Am I fine? <laughs> so I'm going to pray and I'll, let, I'll hand over to Andy. Okay, Father, thank you so much that you are that loving Father. Thank you that you reset our understanding of what it means to have a loving, kind, compassionate Father who is proud of us and who likes us. And I just pray now you would you would speak to us individually and as a church about what this looks like for us, Lord God. I pray you'd re, recalibrate our understanding of you as a father. And give us this, the ability, Lord God, just to, to know you with that level of intimacy and take that into the rest of the day and the rest of the week. I thank you, Father, just that you speak to us, you love us, that you are the awe and wonder God and also the tender Father. Amen.